Good evening, everyone. I've been, I've been doing a lot of hay lately, so I thought I'd try a good evening, Andy. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Late Night Happy Hour. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky, uh, coming to you tonight, waiting for uh, Wazi Lambre from The Athletic, going to be joining us momentarily. Love Big Waz, and uh, a lot of good NBA stuff coming up. Tom Brady forgot what down it was. Uh, Mel Gibson has released a crazy crazy trailer yes uh, he has and there's a lot to do tonight was how are you <laughs> what's up fellas i'm good how are you guys good man good good uh you still we the last time we saw you, you've still got the same background like we're we're always keeping track of everybody's background <laughs> and, like, and like how much they're they're putting into the construction of their background and i actually admire in some ways the guys that just say you know what I'm not turning this into a damn production. No, no. I, I'm, I'm literally doing this from my dining room table. Um, this is essentially my office. So I, I know the feeling. I know the this, feeling. This, what, this, is, this is the setup. Well, I yeah. mean, I, I actually, what's funny about this, like, is this is actually a, a Zoom background. Um, I went with blinds. <laughs> Very creative. Of yeah, you. <laughs> I was, you know, I, I, I mean, my house is. I'm not gonna lie, it is fucking unreal. Um, and I just don't want people looking at it. So I, I don't want people seeing how I live because, as a, as an important member of the media, you know how this is. Well, it's like, right? We make, we make tremendous amounts of money. Just tremendous. <laughs> it's the wealth is garish. And these are tough times. People don't want to see that. So I just, I, I, I've had this made blinds. That's good because then folks can't see the Rolls Royce and the Ferrari exactly. in the driveway. Right. It's good. You got to keep those blinds. Or, or drawn. just the, the constant buff, uh, the constant butlers just, yeah, you know, I mean, just I mean, walking past in the background, catering to every one of Brian's needs. Like right. it's just not the right time. Like, do I need, do I need 18 of them? No, no, no. I, the only way to find out is to try to get by with 15, and right. I'm not doing that. No. Yeah, Jerry Seinfeld would, would disagree. He would, he would <laughs> say, you need all the cars ever made. Um. So you saw, I saw you throwing a little shade tonight at Tom Brady. We will get to the NBA stuff here. <laughs> but uh, he apparently <laughs> forgot what down it was. They, yeah. like, he lost the Chicago Bears because he forgot what down it was. Listen, the people need to know, although I am a respected, uh, unbiased, you know, <laughs> member of the media, I misery as a Jets fan supersedes all of that. So watching terrible Tom Brady, you know, look his age finally, for the love of God, uh, filled my heart with some joy tonight watching him not know the down on the most crucial play of the game. And also, I, I want to say, guys, um, the Bucks deserve to lose that game because they get a fourth and one inside of like six yards from the end zone, and they kick a field goal. Like, I, I'll never understand as a coach how the message to your guys can be, we can't get a yard. <laughs> Are, the game's on the line. Yeah. You know, I come in every day demanding accountability and all this shit from, from players, all this stuff, excuse me, my language. No, no it's okay. You can't. We're okay. in now. Yeah, you can do whatever you want. All this fucking shit. <laughs> <laughs> Get it. <laughs> from players. And, you know, and in the in the middle of the, you know, the basically the nut crunching time of the game, 
You go soft. You go, oh, let's kick a field goal and go up two. Get a freaking yard. Tom Brady's one of the – I think his percentage converting on fourth and short is probably one of the greatest of all time. Well, if he's not the greatest. The all, he's one of the all-time great sneak guys. Yeah. I mean, all we ever talk about is Tom Brady's ability just to run that sneak to get a yard. Right. And so they kick a field goal to go up two because that's a big deal. And they lose the game because of it. So I'm happy that happened. Not just because I hate Tom Brady or sports hate. Obviously, I don't hate the guy. I don't know anything about him. But um, right. I, I was happy to see that tonight. I, it's well, funny. It's like I, I love when this sort of thing happens where you where you learn, wait a minute, do I dislike the team or really did I dislike the player? Like growing up, I hated, 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 hated Notre Dame. Hated them. And as I got older, it turns out I actually hated Lou Holtz. Notre Dame. <laughs> I have a problem with Notre Dame. I actually like their helmets. The uniforms look great on TV. I mean, you know, you know, go go Irish. It's fine. See, I actually had the opposite, um, I guess, route into my distaste for Lou Holtz. For me, it was because I went to USC, and USC right. has the Notre Dame rivalry. So mm. that was my discovery that I, I didn't even have to think about it. I just threw everything together and realized I don't like Lou Holtz. I actually hate Lou Holtz. It was very weird for me and uncomfortable to be a quasi-colleague of his during our time at ESPN, like, well, you know, that, like <laughs> to like have to be like, 10 degrees of separation, like collegial. <laughs> towards of course, now it's worse. Like the idea of being like a, the idea of being, uh, you know, a, uh, a, a colleague of his now just seems really, really, really unappealing. Well, yeah, he's, um, he's gone in some directions. Let's just say outside of the sports side, uh, he's been very public about, his support for certain things in this country and whatever. Yeah. I never liked Lou Holtz, but the Notre Dame <laughs> sort of tracks with, and, mm -hmm. and it's funny, Brian, with a lot of stuff that turns me off in sports. Like, um, for instance, like Notre Dame and Duke, it's like the same thing. It's like these cultural dog whistles. Well, Duke used to, used to send back before they accepted cheating like everybody else. Um, but these cultural dog signals about like the Duke program and what it meant to be a Duke player and what Mike Krzyzewski stood for and Notre Dame and the Catholics and this and we're on the side of Jesus and all of that. Like that kind of stuff always made me roll my eyes. And, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of stuff in sports makes me roll my eyes. Like when, you know, when we glorify certain types of super fans, like that shows the game blue paint all over his body. I'm like, what would we glorify this kind of behavior? People can buy <laughs> tickets, watch games, buy jerseys, like feed into the, the sports industrial complex so people like us can get paid while not looking ridiculous. You know, like, I don't it's know. Why I, it's why I respect, like, you know, with, with, with uh, you know, at Louisville, Patino's just like, hey, guys, do you – you think it's like if we brought strippers in, would that help us get to the play? <laughs> you got, okay, the strippers, let's do the strippers. Guys, we're going with hey. the stripper plan. What do you think? Hey, like, those, I, those guys no are 18 years old, Brian. There's nothing wrong with that. Those guys are 18. We can send them off the war. We can let them see a tit or two. It's okay. <laughs> Nobody's going to die. No, I <laughs> it, it's just one of those things, though, that, you know, in the world that we live in with, you know, college sports rules and whatever, that's a tough right. one to explain away. <laughs> like, that's a very difficult. Right. That's a very difficult. Oh, I didn't realize we couldn't do that. <laughs> like, right. oh, that's a, I didn't see that specifically in the NCAA. Well, well it's an extra handbook. benefit. 
Yes. <laughs> yeah, and we, we were talking yesterday. We were with uh, Greg Bergman. I, I mentioned that I used to be a kindergarten teacher, which is true. And one of the things that once came up with one of the kids is she threw a rock at another kid. And I was like, you know, we can't do it. She's like, well, you never said we couldn't throw rocks at people. Like, well, first of all, I'm pretty sure I did. <laughs> like, you know, you can't throw right, rocks. Right, even at age right. six, right. you know, you can't do that. Right. right. Like, you, you know that. And so it's like, even if it doesn't say specifically in the rule book, like, no bringing strippers to your, you know, student athletes dorm. Like, like, you know you're not supposed to. There are to certain that. things that are just assumed. <laughs> well, right. here's, the, here's the, you know, the general rule of thumb. If you wouldn't have pitched it to that kid's parents in their living room when you decided that you were going to take on this patriarchal sort of role in the kid's, you know, life by having him come to Louisville, if you wouldn't say, we're going to get him all the lap dances he wants, if you <laughs> wouldn't have said that in the recruiting pitch, probably shouldn't be doing it. Do you think like Tark actually did pitch that in the, living, in the living rooms that he went around across the country? He's like, look, I know who your son is. I promise I will keep your son steeped in lap dances if he attends UNLV. Like I can make you this promise. If he goes to Fresno State, that kid will be up to his neck in lap dances. So, you know, my, my significant other is, is an Armenian woman. And through her, I've met a lot of Armenian Men, um, and Tark being a proud Armenian cat himself, it wouldn't surprise me, is what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I had to, you're like, I have to set this up properly before it sounds like I'm speaking really out of school. Hey, the Armenians oh, no, love no. the party, they love the knowledge. party. <laughs> that, is, that is fun. I do like the idea, though, of the coach, you know, at some either notoriously uh unscrupulous program or you know you start getting to like d2 d3 you know in some of the more disreputable programs it's like look would you like your kid to have lap dances because i mean i can i can, I can do that i mean i know a guy no i'm not i'm not saying i will get your kid a lap dance i'm just not saying that i'll prevent it like I, where which direction do you want to go yeah i it, you know that was that was one of my favorites just because it's so ludicrous that that would be part of any sort of package that was offered, you know, but at the same time, these are young men, um, especially when you consider the the amount of testosterone involved in, in being that age and being an athlete, uh, you know, actually quite was quite prescient of the assistant coaches and Ricardo to do that. It's, Which it, school it, was that again? That he, the, the strippers happened? Louisville. 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 Okay. Yep. I mean, it could be any of the places that he goes. But well, I mean, that's why I had that particular <laughs> one was Louisville. Well, Rick, yeah, Rick Pitino was just, you know, he had the 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 you know the sordid affair with um his buddy's wife, and it, it you know Rick Pitino's like you know his flaming out in Louisville is that's going to be an incredible thirty for thirty someday. Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> it will be, and I'm. I'm almost embarrassed to admit just how much I want to watch it. Oh, there's <laughs> it, nothing embarrassing about that at all. I mean, I've watched yeah. episodes of Below Deck. I mean, you think, I mean, a, comparatively speaking, you know, the, the Rick Patino 30 for 30 is is high class television. So, uh, yeah, like the section that. where they cover him being a two pump chump, 
that's just going to be uh <laughs> it's just going to be classic yeah that, uh, well i mean the moral with mean, all this sorry, the moral of this whole story is it turns out i actually don't dislike the patriots i just dislike tom brady there you go there you Nobody's go he's gone I, like they got cam newton you got a quarterback that i like i mean i found myself rooting for them when they, yes. when they drove all the way down against seattle and it came down to one play i was actually super disappointed that they didn't convert I can't. I think the last time I read Patriots was the Super Bowl against Brett Favre. I don't know why I just didn't want Brett Favre to win. I don't know why. I just, I just didn't want the Packers to win. And I remember being at the house rooting against them and rooting for Drew Bledsoe and Terry Glenn, and Curtis Martin, and Big Tuna. Are you more um, of a, a Levi's guy than a Wrangler guy? I mean, is that what it was? <laughs> probably. That, that, that probably had something to do with it. <laughs> Yeah, Bray. Here's the thing about Brady forgetting that down that I like. I don't want to say humanizes him because I, I'm not asking anybody to like him, but is a real stars they're just like us moment. He's 43 years old, and you know we talk about him showing his age. I think some last year, but certainly this year as a quarterback. Is there a chance that he forgot what down it is because he's just starting to get up there? Because I know in my 40s I forget everything. Everything like I cannot remember a damn thing at, at my particular age. And, you know, it's definitely began in the 40s. So is there a chance that he just had like a like a beginning of a senior moment? I, I you know what it is? Like, I actually have a terrible memory as well. And so I, I'm not I can't be one to brag over here. But I really think what it is, is that because he's in a brand new environment, he's just thinking about too many things. Like, there's just not a bunch of assumed knowledge or he's not playing subconsciously right now because there's just so much newness that he has to factor in into all of his decisions from, you know, the coach to the guys that he's throwing to, to his old line. I just think that's what's really contributing to it. Like the information overload caused him to just, oh, man, yeah. uh, you know. I, al I also scored. think the point you made before about, like, you deserve to lose for not going in the fourth and one, you're inside 100%. the run. And the other, by the way, the other quarterback is Nick Foles, and it's the Chicago Bears offense. Like, you're going to get the ball back Nick in the Foles is anyway. Nick Foles is his kryptonite. What are you talking about? <laughs> He's the Brady killer. Oh, uh, man, I'll, I'll never forget that Super Bowl because uh, it was actually my first birthday um, – after having moved here to LA. So I moved in September. My birthday was February 6th. My friends uh, from, from home decided that they would visit LA instead of me going to New York to celebrate my birthday. They was like, so about like five of my buddies from home visited. They rented a house in the hills in um, Studio City in the mountains. And um, they were like, yo, why don't we throw a Super Bowl party? on your birthday. So the Super Bowl landed on my birthday. Um, and this, this house, it was a dope house, had this big pool and yard and all of this stuff. So we invited a bunch of people over, just had a great, friends, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. My friends is the, yeah, this, this psychopaths. And so we invited a bunch of people over, had a great time. I just remember being obscenely drunk and just being so happy that the Patriots lost that game. Thank you, Nick Foles for delivering me one of the greatest birthday presents of my entire life. I mean, there really isn't. I mean, unless you are from Boston or Massachusetts and just that's how you grew up rooting for the Patriots and everybody can understand that. They're not that. a national team at all. Right. No. But I mean, 
is particularly during the Brady era, like specifically the Brady era, rooting for Tom Brady, if you're not just inherently organically a Patriots fan, is essentially like rooting for the guy who dates a supermodel to find a hotter supermodel. Like you're really rooting for him just the one day. <laughs> what he did. Right. But I mean, it, it is. I mean, but like basically wow. you're rooting. You're, it's the football equivalent of saying, you know what? He's with Giselle. But I, I really hope he can do better. I, I really hope he can yeah, find I, well, I mean, somebody hotter and more successful you, you, you than Giselle. You started Bridget Moynihan. I know. I know. Hardly Listen, an unattractive that, lady. Listen, as, as much of a gut punch the, the Seahawks Super Bowl was, whereas like I could just taste victory and it was just ripped out, ripped from under me because Pete Carroll wanted to get cute and throw the ball. Um, the, the Eagles Super Bowl was great, but and you know, the Falcons meltdown was horrible, but nothing will ever top 18 and one. Nothing. And I say that as a Jets fan who hates the Giants. Like, I hate the Giants. But I, I'm pretty sure my greatest memory as a sports fan is derived from the joy I felt when the Patriots went 18-1. That I'll never forget that cornerback falling down on the floor and slipping and Plaxico just being wide open in the end zone. I'll never yeah. forget that feeling. My, my older cousin, Pat, was actually with me at the house watching the game. And we hugged each other like we had just won the lottery. <laughs> it was crazy. That 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 was just my, my what, what do they absolute say? favorite what do they say? Moment. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. And even, you know. Hey, now. Giants. But I mean, the, the the, the Jet, my, my father-in-law is a Jets fan. It's a whole other circle of hell. Like it, it's, well, it's I, I was going to say, I, I was going to say you, you being a Jets fan and everything that comes with being a Jets fan, I feel like you're sort of, if not grandfathered in, you are allowed a certain amount of allowances to offset your suffering. Like for example, <laughs> like, you know, Brian and I are from St. Louis and growing up as a kid, I was a diehard St. Louis Cardinals fan, you know, the oh, now oh, Arizona oh, Cardinals fan. Oh, wow. I, okay. I, oh, yeah. I, I mean, I loved those teams. They were torturous, horribly run. I mean, like, you think that they're, you think that Bill Bidwell's son has been at times a train wreck. You never saw his father. Like, his father, Bill Bidwell, was among the worst owners in the history of professional sports. They were torturous to loss. Then they moved when I was like 13 and they broke my heart. So when the Rams, Beat uh beat the Titans in '99. I got myself all excited about this because I felt like there was a part of my loyalty to those shitty Cardinals years in St. Louis being rewarded by extension, you know, by proxy and being adjacent to it. And then I came to realize within like a year, I don't give a shit about the Rams. Like I don't care <laughs> about that team at all. Like I try to root for them the next year. I was like, I don't care about them. I just I wanted to be rewarded for everything that I went through, yeah. and I felt some type of reward. But then I realized I don't care about that team in okay, the same so way. I, I, you never considered being a, a Giants fan. I'm I sure. put this out. I put this out on the chat. What what team makes its fans suffer more than the Jets? Like the Jets are currently doing maybe things this team. Cool. Is it possible? Yes, it's very possible. <laughs> very possible, Yankees. The Jets are cur so you and my father-in-law would get along great. He's a Jets Yankees guy. I know you have to do No, I'm Jets, I'm Jets yeah. and Mets. I'm I'm Jets yeah. and Mets. I'm sorry, Jets yeah, Mets. So That's what I mean. Yeah, Jets, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, yeah this, there is yeah. no misery. And then I was smart enough to never have rooted for the Knicks. Um, because when I got into basketball, like I was so obsessed with Michael Jordan 
because I was like, I'm a hooper. I'm obsessed with excellence in hooping. Of why would I be rooting for Charles Oakley and John Starks? That doesn't make any sense to me. So I was a huge Jordan fan. Mm-hmm. And so when Jordan retired, I just became like sort of a NBA agnostic or atheist or whatever you want to call it. I just don't have a team. I just root for excellent basketball. There but- is no God, Was. <laughs> <laughs> just and- Michael Jordan. There is right, no God. Right. <laughs> and so... I'm I'm very uh, I'm very happy to not have the Knicks burden and stench on oh, me. But oh. trust me, the the Mets and the Jets do plenty, plenty, but, plenty okay. to bring so misery to my life. Here's a candidate. Here's a candidate for a, a a team that makes their fans suffer more. Now, on the one hand, the Clippers have been significantly Oof. better than the Jets over the last few years. Oh, yeah. The Clippers, as bad as things have been this year, are not running whatever Adam Gase is doing right now no. in New York. But is it more torturous? Like, is it better to be better and never get there or just constantly beat your fan base down like the Jets? Dude, there's no comparison. Like, the the Clippers basically have 10 years of sustained competence and success. Yeah. Essentially since they traded for Chris Paul. It's been nothing but competence over there. Jets have never in the history of this team had 10 years – or four years oh. straight of competence. There was the Parcel years where we were competent. But other than that, it's been like, you know, two and out, one and out, a, a 11 and five straight season here or there, and that's it. I guarantee yeah. if, if you ask Sam Darnold, which which team tortures you more, the Jets or the Clippers, you're going to be like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, <laughs> seriously? Like, this is, a bad is this a question? question? The Marlins have terrible seasons, but the Marlins have won two World Series. No. There's like, no, it's it's the Jets. No, not the I don't even know who you even compare it to. Two. I forget how many titles they've won. Uh, they've user won. four five two three says Jets were good when y'all had Daryl uh, Darrell Rivas. No, we had the two championship AFC championship teams with with um, Rex Ryan, and those teams were fun, but they were quarterbacked by the Sanchez. You know, like yeah. at the end of the day, like he had his four best games ever in his life in those two playoff runs. And the rest of it, if you look oh. at it, was complete and utter garbage. Here's a here's a good choice. Oh, Lock the Browns. Spews. Oh, my the Lord. Browns. Yeah, the Browns. That, that might, that yeah. might be. <laughs> they got me. <laughs> I mean, they got me. yeah, it's. At least the Jets have something as cool as the guarantee. <laughs> or like, you know, I mean, there, there's certain things that they can hang their hat on if they're really, really trying. Or at least they can think about like the 2006 title, a 2016 title with LeBron. Like you got something. You've got right. something. Well, the real answer, I think actually to. the real answer is probably the Mets. I mean, sorry, the, is the uh, the Knicks. Yeah, the Knicks. So the Knicks now have basically had twenty years of utter ineptitude. That's that's a crazy long run, right? Like they had been, like since Dolan bought the team, they had one, I think, second round exit with that Spreewell Allen Houston nucleus, right? They had that one second round exit, and then they had the fifty four win team with Melo. And uh, and Tyson Chandler and those guys when Melo played the four and they did the sort of four out super three point team offense and that's it 
for 20 yeah. years. Yeah. 20 years. 20 sport, years. Right. And this is where I think this is the distinction, I think, between the Knicks and the Jets. Football, you you know, you get a great you draft. You, you need three, four, five, six guys. You got to put 22, you know, 11 on each side, all that stuff. You need a lot of good players. Basketball, you need two, like, you know, to at least get somewhere. Like, you need. You need to get two guys to come. Right. One guy, two guys, whatever it might be. And you're in New York. You play in Madison Square Garden. This is a basketball city. You have more money than you know what to do. And they still can't do it. Like, yeah, that just you need one me, guy. That, you get yeah, one guy. To me, that just illustrates the importance of ownership within the NBA. Like that is the biggest determining factor of yeah. success in this league is what is ownership doing? Are they smart enough to empower the smartest and best people? That's the job of the owner. If you have an owner who's like, shit, I paid $600 million for this. I'm going to be in charge. I'm going to be making decisions. I want to do this. I want to do that. Even though I made my money, you know, selling stocks and bonds. <laughs> no, he was giving like, his I mean, he was giving his money for talking well, no, about not Dolan James Dolan. I'm just talking about Joe Dolan. Yeah, absolutely. You know, James Dolan, literally a trust fund baby. Like this guy, his dad just said, here's the New York Knicks, right? Like one of the best sports properties in the world. Here, just have it, kid. He's and about to ruin the AMC it. network, by the way, James Dolan. He, Dolan he just is. Got, yeah, he just got that signed over from his dad. He's going to be running. Wow. I believe he's going to be running the AMC network. So I get. Wow. I you know I personally I feel like The Walking Dead's been going downhill for years, but I can promise you all the offshoots that thing's going to suck now. See, guys, here's the thing. What we are is we're a band, and we were <laughs> caught out during the thing. The zombies were out, and so we're like the band's got to stay together, and we work together because we're a band. Here and we, we opened go, up for Jewel. <laughs> God. This, we kill the zombies using my harmonica. Yeah. <laughs> it, is, it is something that we do in this country where, like, I, I, I maybe it's universal, but like American rich people in particular, like, there is a, a real tendency to assume that because you're good at one thing, that you're going to be good at that other thing over there. Like, I, you could, I mean, I don't doubt that Jerry Jones is really good at whatever it is that Jerry Jones did to make all that money that he has. But he's not that good at running a football team. Like no, but that's the thing. Have to do with the other. Mike makes right. So if you have money, then therefore, obviously, you're a genius. Obviously, you're more competent than the guy flipping burgers at Burger King because you have all this money. How else would you? How else would you be able to attain all of this money if you weren't such a hyper, you know, intelligent, competent? useful human being that's that's how people think anyway but you know nba owners disprove that every single day yes i mean have you heard of tillman frittata yes oh my yes God. they do that guy yeah, uh, <laughs> seems like oh, a pleasure been listen <laughs> it's like a pleasure to be uh, in his employ Right. <laughs> well, I mean, this is actually this is actually a good a good seg into the the you know we're kind of in an NBA off day game five tomorrow, which we'll get into it in, in a few minutes here, and what we think is going to happen, and what happens after we all think is going to happen happens. Executive of the year voting came out today. Um, you know, so Jeannie Buss, who is a good owner in the sense of not like institutionally wealthy like these other people, but an owner who does and kind of gets out of the way. Make a, just make a choice about who you think is the right person, and she generally doesn't meddle. So that's good. Rob Palenka finished seventh 
in the uh, in the in the voting. And Waz, as you might guess, Laker fans have reacted with rational acceptance to this news. Um, how much credit? Like, how much? Like, is that fair? Is seventh fair for Rob Palenka for a team that's going to go sixteen and four probably and win an NBA title for executive of the year? I think that I think that um, his finishing in the media voting sort of demonstrates that I noticed throughout this year, which I, I just found to be jarring, is just that the media collectively sometimes has a hard time accepting when they're wrong about something. When the Lakers came out of their last season, out of the offseason last summer, people mocked and laughed at the roster they constructed. They said Kawhi played them like a fiddle. He made them wait and wait while never intending to sign, made them take scraps, and the Lakers constructed a terribly flawed team. Um, my oh, guy by the way, it's being pointed out, uh, and uh, the, media, the, the exec is actually voted by other execs. As oh, opposed voted to the ex okay, so it's not me. Yes. Oh, okay, excuse me. Oh, my bad. Also, don't like Rob. Like yes, I, it, right, it, it I, doesn't. It doesn't mean that there's not some biases going on. But right. just no, make but, sure. but I think it's still related to the media in the sense that a lot of the information they're getting is from rival execs. Like a lot of their okay. um, opinions are informed by talking to guys around the league, and people were mocking this team, this roster construction. It happened. I remember it. I was in Vegas in summer league during summer league when this all went down. It was the Lakers are in huge trouble. Oh my God, the Clippers are freaking geniuses. They're going to blow people out the water. That's that was the sentiment that came out of it. And if like if you can't you can't argue with the results. Like this team and and also like I think what gets lost in all of this like they put together like the guy put together AD and LeBron. Like what people need to understand is that those role guys were never going to be asked to save or carry this team. It was going to be the two, two of the most awesome basketball players we've ever seen. And so, yes, of course it's ridiculous. But, but that, that ultimately That's though ends up, that, that ultimately ends up, I think the problem or the sticky point of the resentment, whatever you want to say with Rob Palenka standing in this voting, because there are a lot of people and I, and I don't think entirely without, cause who ultimately feel like getting Anthony Davis was either not that difficult in negotiating in the sense that the Lakers literally gave up everything other than Kyle Kuzma. Like they gave up everything they had to give up or that ultimately this was more Rich Paul's work or LeBron James's work or hell, even David Griffin's work. Well, in the sense, especially too, in the sense of like, it's not like they were competing against six other teams to get AD. It was like he's either coming here or I guess he's not moving. And, you know, I, I don't know if that was the most difficult trade to, to execute. In but the, but the pieces, though, are but the pieces around yes. them. You, you keep, you know. Right. So, and and being honest, as much as I think Rob Palinka did do, and, and, you know, to his credit, I think Brian and I both gave him credit in that moment. Like, we were not, we were not highly critical of the roster that he put together heading into this season, as much as we had been fairly critical of Rob Palenka and the front office last season. And, and I think with cause, because it was quite clearly chaos, but you know, ultimately this team is as great as it is because of the foundation of LeBron and Anthony Davis and the question of how much credit 
Rob Palinka deserves for, for that, I think if nothing else is fair to ponder because it's the, the context was so specific. Yeah, I hear that. While I hear that, um, I, I just shake my head and it's just the, I, like people mock the moves that they made, like the Rondo and the Howard and all of this. That's true. And, and remember the stuff about Palinka not understanding the salary cap as intricately as dorks on Twitter do, which is great. That's fine. That's not the job. In your job as Lakers GM, you don't win on the margins. You're the freaking Lakers. Mm -hmm. So in his job, his job was to acquire superstars, and that's what they did. And, and now they're on the brink of a championship. He did his job. Like, you can't compare his job to GMing, say, the Denver Nuggets, who has an ownership group who will never, ever spend into the luxury tax, right? So that GM has to – he doesn't operate the same way the GM of the Lakers have because that's a different job. Um, I remember, I, you know, I got into an interesting conversation with some people on Twitter when it came to Daryl Morey and the Westbrook trade. And I was like, um, hey, man, I don't think that, like Daryl Morey has kind of told you his MO. Russell Westbrook's not a Morey player. He's the most anti-Morey player ever. And so that shows you that that was an ownership thing. But what I was told was basically, and, and I agree with, and I was wrong for saying that about Morey, part of your job as the GM is to convince your owner not to do something stupid like that. So if you don't have the juice within your organization to veto something Good like point. that, you're you're bad at your job. Okay, so Rob Palenka by like just by nature of the team, he did a good job. Like there's no other way to put. You can say LeBron wanted to be you know next to Warner Brothers Studios here in LA, or mm -hmm. AD wanted to play with LeBron and blah 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 blah. And Rob Palenka is not some genius mastermind like. That's cool, but he effectively did his job. This he put together a team that's about to win the freaking championship. Well, this is this is one of the things I think is interesting about this conversation is like if you take advantage of the things that are advantageous to wherever you happen to be, like the the, the things that come with your particular gig. Um, and with the Lakers, it's like yeah, there is an element of just get out of the way. You know, but that that to me is 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 a is something that is worth giving somebody credit for. Again, I'm not giving them all the credit. Like, you know, clear the runway, let LeBron land the plane at your airport. Clear the runway, let AD come there. And if it means Rich Paul's gonna be doing that, it means you got to give up a little extra, whatever it is. If these guys want it, like that's part. That's one of the perks of being the GM of, of the Lakers. What makes it hard is now you have those superstars. Now you've got to make sure that what's happening inside your organization works and that the communication's good and you got to babysit agents and you got to babysit egos. And like that's the hard part. And so I, I think when you try to figure out who's the executive of the year, it's not the roster I think that, that Palinka put together where if you want to point to something and say, like, look what they did over there. It's the fact that there was zero drama on this team. And that's Frank Vogel, that's LeBron, that's AD, that's all this. Stuff. But I'm sure there was like political shit going on somewhere behind. Like there was stuff that needed to be smoothed out here and there. And if there wasn't, then great job for setting it up that way. That's the hard part of being the GM of the Lakers. Yeah, 100 uh, <laughs> percent. Again, the ego management that has to go into this when you consider the people who are involved um, and their histories, right? Like. 
was John Rondo still not talking to Ray Allen? <laughs> you know, like, um, <laughs> obviously we know about the white history. Like, we're talking about some mercurial, let's say, guys, right? Uh, um, DeMarcus Cousins, like, Braun. Like, these are insanely yeah. big personalities that and you didn't hear a peep of it mm -hmm. a peep of it in fact when i talked to danny green before the season and i keep telling this story because i think it's important um you know i'm doing a q a with him i'm on the phone i know you guys have spoken to danny green before he's the most professional person on planet earth like, he will not say something interesting. He's not going to rock the boat. He is going to go straight down the line. And I'm like, He's gosh. a nightmare to transcribe. It's the weirdest thing. He is a nightmare to transcribe. And I don't know. Nobody can figure out why. But all of the people who cover this team, like, you know, we, we have these communal Google Docs that we all share. And we trade off transcribing after games so everybody can just help out everyone. We can get this stuff done as quick as possible. Nobody wants to transcribe Danny Green. <laughs> it makes no sense because he's easy to understand if you're just talking to him. It's not like you're like, what What did he just There's say? something about his cadence, or I don't know what it is, but he's it really difficult. Bizarre. But continue. Continue. Yeah, so, and, you know, we're talking about the team, and Danny Green's like, you know, it's early, but I just love the chemistry of this team. He's like, there's guys from such a diverse background within the league, guys who's been superstars and all-stars and all-NBA guys and role-player types and, and six-man types and all of that. Like, he's like, there's such a diverse experience and knowledge of the NBA around here, and there's such a shared level of respect, mutual respect, going on all around this team. I really love the chemistry. And I remember sitting on the phone. I was like, give me a fucking break, Danny. And you can't, you can't be serious. And then, you know, of course, 40 games into the season, they're easily the top record in the West. And the on-court connectedness is there. It's mm -hmm. there. You could see it. Um, and he was right, you know. And, and, and how, how, I don't know how they did it. But they did, and and they you know they're bearing the fruits of that now. Well, you know what I also think is really interesting about the executive year voting because you know Lawrence Frank ended up winning, and that obviously caused well deserved. Yeah, I was going to say it caused a lot of uh, Lawrence Frank getting dunked on because of the way the Clippers you know flamed out in the playoffs. But what what's really driven home is again this is something that is voted on. Before the playoffs begin, it's a regular right. season. It is a award. regular season. It would help if they gave these awards out during the regular season, but you know, they're the end of the playoffs. But you know, it, it reflects a presumption, I think, by a lot of people that the Clippers were going to end up winning a championship, which was not a stupid presumption, even if you thought the Lakers had a better chance or the Clippers or the Bucks had a better chance. Picking the Clippers was not stupid. In the same way, and this is what I actually think is more interesting, John Horst from the Bucks actually finished ahead of Rob Palenka. And that's one that I look at and go, okay, that's purely just predicting <laughs> the Bucks are going to win the championship because what did John Horst actually do? He got rid of the second best player or the third best player. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, you know, he a decent haul for Malcolm Brogdon, but like, it's not going to help him right away. He re-signed Brooke Lopez, brought in Robin, and you know, I think Kyle Korver. Like, he didn't really do anything. Or like, okay, I think Masai Ujiri is 
legit, one of the best execs in this league, period. He finished ahead of Rob Belenka. And all he really did was run a team back. Right. And, it's, the, like, it's the same exact team from last year. He tried, he tried to respond a star. It didn't work. And he just ran the team back. Right. And, you know, I mean, they had a better season than a lot of people thought they would. And I guess credit to Masai Ujiri for ultimately deciding not to blow it up and for, you know, really giving their fans that experience. And it turned into a great story. And I think that team really loved being around each other. But he didn't really do anything like like it's really more respect totally well earned for Masai Ujiri I think for the totality of his career or even just the last couple years of his career than what he actually did in 2019 2020 like Rob Palinka did more than him yeah and again I I'm I'm telling you I think that vote reflects Something that I noticed all year long, just a general Los Angeles Lakers skepticism. People just refuse to change their mind on this team. And this sizzle reel out there where you see a bunch of TV talking heads not picking the Lakers. And that's in line with what you saw. Any like if you want to go back and look at any media people or outlets with an actual following. You want to talk about ESPN. You want to talk about Fox. You want to talk about guys like Bill Sure. Sure, Of course. (laughs) Guys like Bill Simmons and Ryan Rossillo, who, you know, they're not at the big uh, media company, but they have huge followings in their own right. Everybody knows their respective voices within the NBA. You know, a Stephen A or whoever. Go down the line. Nobody liked the Lakers this year. Nobody. People. I, mean, I ex- don't. No, nah, I don't. I mean, but the, I'm the telling you, people, top three consensus, top three pick. You know, okay, consensus, like were, top three. But when people had to make the choice, they never picked the Lakers. There were there were few. Like, you go back to the athletic, you know, preseason. Like they they were yeah. in there. Their people picked them, but only like, folks like Waz who were part of the We Believe train. Right, I mean, these this talent, this plucky little <laughs> team that was. I mean, I, most most people. I went back and looked at it, most people had the Lakers pegged to win thirteen games this year, um, and it was <laughs> and, and man. Did they did they just exceed expectations? Because Caruso was way better than people thought. Um, yeah, and I think look. To, to be honest, like the Clippers were barely a, a, a bigger favorite than the Lakers by Vegas coming into the season. And we all know Vegas is generally smarter than any, everybody anyway, which is fair. But I'm just talking about the thought leaders, the people who have the most visibility, whether you want to talk about the inside guys, just go down the line. Nobody picked the Lakers. Nobody did. <laughs> like it just was not happening. People were very skeptical of the team. Um, I remember my man Darius Soriano, right? Yeah. Um, he wrote like the Lakers was something like 17 and 3. And he had to write a blog, like, guys, this is a good team. You guys can stop like questioning them. Like, you got like they're good. Here's the numbers that back it up. Their defense is legit. Like, this team is good. I know everybody told you before the season that they put together a deeply flawed roster because they didn't have a bunch of, you know, Kyle Corvers on the team. But this team has shown you through 20 games that they're very good. And as you know, I think it was my man, Top Haberstro, who first put pointed this out. Like, he did a piece where it's like, after the first 20 games, it's basically the playoffs. Like, you have your playoff picture. Nothing generally ever changes throughout the season. And I'm all year long, people just like, ah, I don't know. Ah, you see, they keep losing to the Clippers. Ah, I don't know. Ah, it was it was a lot of skepticism. And I think that vote 
is reflective of that. People were skeptical of this team. Well, it's. I mean, I think the, that, I'll, I'll, go ahead, Andy. I'll, I'll throw. I, I was going to say. I think the vote. Maybe some degree of skepticism because there definitely was a presumptive element to your your picking who you think, other than Sam Presti, who I actually think should have won because I don't think I think in his own right that guy had the most impressive season of anybody. Like yeah. in term in the Houdini act that he managed to pull with Russell Westbrook and Paul George, yeah. getting out of those deals, moving them for actually good stuff. Selling Chris Paul on that on that season, and you know Brian and I both talked to people who know what was going on and said that you know Chris Paul really liked what he heard from Sam Presti, and that was at least the foundation of investment, that sort of thing. And they're you know they managed to have this season where they go to the playoffs and they're set up incredible moving forward for a rebuild, and that's the only way a team like OKC can generally do something like that. He's who I would have voted for, but nobody nobody is going to think well, I mean, that the look, Thunder the guys can end up like, winning. Guys like uh, Connolly in, uh, in, in Denver, I mean, who the, a couple guys finished behind um, – Rob, that I was like, you can make an argument. You know, it was, it was, God, I got to look at the standings again, but it was, I've got, uh, it you know, Denver. Um, Tim Connolly was behind. Um, Tim Connolly was behind, I know, Rob. And then who was behind Connolly? Oh, uh, uh, it was, uh, it was uh, Dallas. Yes. Um, what's his name? Don Nelson with two N's. Don Nelson. Um, like they did some impressive shit down there too, building a roster like that and putting that together. And, you know, I mean that, that this is, it's a weird award because it it's, it's like, what are you supposed to be? Are you exceeding expectations? Are you, you know, a team that just like did a bunch of stuff that wasn't supposed to be good? Like, it, and it, it is a bit of a popularity thing because people don't really like okay. rock. And, here's you know, a, gr here's a great question from uh Tay Wenji. If Kawhi came to the Lakers, do you think the executive vote will be different? Yes, I think Rob Palinka gets fewer. Actually, I think the, res <laughs> I think the resentment is right. so high. If they manage to get Anthony Davis and Kawhi, nobody votes for him. I mean, it's going to be such a middle finger <laughs> vote. People would have voted for Mitch out of spite. It would, yeah, it would have been an uproar. I, I and I and I generally think that it, I'm very happy Kawhi didn't end up going to the Lakers. Um, because it just, I don't think it would have made for a good storyline for people like us. They would have crushed too, everything moving. It would have been, it would have been insane. <laughs> all <laughs> like, three of those guys, all three of those guys is like me getting rid of my blinds background and showing you what my house actually was. <laughs> that would have been insane. So I'm happy that didn't happen. And yeah, you're right. People would have been like, oh, big deal. All you did was get AD and Kawhi Leonard to play next to LeBron. Well, they would have just said those guys forced their way to L.A. and right. Rob and you didn't, didn't have to do a thing. Right. He didn't lift a finger to make it happen, essentially, is what they, they would have said, which, you know, which is fine. I just think if you look at roster construction, specifically if you're going off of whatever the roster was the year before, um, you can't argue with the results of – the team of this season as compared to last, like the offseason moves were perfect, not perfect, but they were amazing because their one win from the championship when they completely missed the playoffs last season. Right. Um, and right, because LeBron know, got hurt. 
Right, sure, but like you can't argue with the improvement year to year. Oh, sure, but and, like what I think, what what what, and, you know, I'm not sure if you read the Mannix column that. Uh, of course, out. I read that. Of course, you read it. Are you kidding? He's the captain of the We Believe Lakers. Of course, he read it. <laughs> Didn't you see the footage of me outside Mannix's house? Um, and so, Waz well, like, actually I broke shared, social distancing that, rules. I shared so that thing in every group chat that I'm in. <laughs> he actually he actually broke social distancing rules so he could slap Chris Mannix with a white glove, <laughs> and then he challenged Mannix to a duel. <laughs> you, have, uh, you have stained the honor of my team, sir. Um, but like, so like, what I think is, and I, I understand what got pistols of swords said about this was like what he said to Dan Patrick earlier is that the Lakers have a better chance of missing the playoffs than they do winning a title. And I actually, I was, I, I shouldn't have done it. I got into a rabbit hole with some other people in the media and a couple of fans, whatever. But what yes, I think is did. interesting about it, and this is true of sports, and what I think makes sports great is the point he was basically trying to make is, especially <laughs> in context, go back to September when the Lakers really did kind of look like a dumpster fire. Um, and they had hired their third, you know, third choice coach. And all, like nobody knew Frank Vogel was going to work out this way. Like he was like the third, fourth guy that they were looking at. Nobody wanted to come take this job. You know, Jason Kidd was going to stab him in the back in 30 seconds. It didn't look like it did now. But his basic point was, it's hard for things to come together and win a title. Like a lot of stuff has to come together in a certain way for it to work, and none of it is ever preordained. If LeBron misses 35 games again this year, the Lakers, I don't know what that looks like. I mean, you know, in a non-bubble season, do you, where what seed are they? Are they the seventh seed, the eighth seed? Do they miss the playoffs? Like, as good as AD is, AD without LeBron on this roster. His team was better in New Orleans, you know? So it's like, that isn't a guarantee. And all of this, this is what I think is great about it, is like none of this stuff, you could look at it and say, well, obviously they're going to go in it. Like nobody, it, it's completely reasonable not to expect them to have even gone 16 and four in the playoffs. And we knew, I already have them winning tomorrow. And we knew at that point they were really good. I think people should lean into this shit more than be like, how dare you? point any of it out no i don't even see for me it's not i dare you for me it's just again you know again i bring up bond because that's my boy and i actually called him the day the lakers clinched the number one seed because he was one of the first people yeah. on the the lakers ain't gonna be shit this year bandwagons yeah. and because he's my boy i called him and i razzed him or whatever but then of course i see him on i think he was on tv and said Heat and six. And I'm like, <laughs> you just refuse to learn your lesson, well, huh? Look, there, you just refuse is, to learn it. And that was there, the thing with Mannix. It's just like, no, just say you were I was wrong. That's that's all people wanted to hear. I was wrong. Instead, it was nobody could have saw this coming. <laughs> it's like, all right. There, there <laughs> okay. Is, I couldn't see LeBron and AD having just as good a chance to win the championship as anybody else. I, I, I couldn't see that happening. I, I think I did see it happening. I did. I know for a fact I did. <laughs> there is, without question, an element of people in our industry who just have a real reluctance to ever admit they were wrong. And I think in part, this gets fueled by just the 24-7 nature of you know the industry now and everything being so ubiquitous. And there are so many receipts 
there are so many receipts of everything that you say. Up, Andy. Right. Like, we, you, know, like you write a, a a column or something like you're guessing because people want to know what, what do you think is going to happen? Well, right. So exactly. I mean, like as much as there are times when I hear Brian Windhorst, you know, who we both like, you know, say, I, I don't make predictions where I'm like, dude, lighten up and make a damn prediction. <laughs> but then there's other times where I'm like, you know what? I get it. I sort of get it. Like it would, if you're somebody of Brian Windhorst's profile, like, you know, he's one of the five, 10 at lowest biggest names in basketball media that guy will have every receipt collected (laughs) like every like i mean like the three of us get to you know i mean i think we're all doing fine for ourselves but the three of us at least get to remain somewhat nobody exactly (laughs) if you're you're somebody like windhorst everything's getting keep kept track of so i sort of get where he's coming from yeah, it's it's the gift and the curse, right? When you're somebody like Windhorse or you know, my man Zach Lowe or any of those people, mm-hmm. let's face it, people care what they say, but they also get to be rich, you know? Yeah. Well, <laughs> so it's, it's, here's the, the, it's the it's it's the gift and the oh, curse. Yeah, I, I will I, to me that's not even a blessing and a curse. Give me the money. I don't give yeah. a shit how wrong you think I am. I don't care. You know what? You <laughs> know what? You know what's worse is like there's still enough people who come up with receipts for what we do, and we don't have the money. <laughs> so it's like, how, <laughs> how do we benefit from this? Yeah, you, you guys need a better deal than that, man. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like, exactly. I mean, we're not like on the streets and shit, but it's like you know, it could be better. <laughs> I'm, I'm willing. Like, did you guys see that CNBC? Because we all live in LA. Did you see that CNBC thing? They do some money column always does this every year where they were talking about uh joe uh joe biden's potential tax policy and raising it on people who are make over four hundred thousand dollars a year and they started breaking down how four hundred thousand dollars a year in la only kind of makes you upper middle class it's really not that much money and they start breaking down like all the line items like based on you know kids going to private school and taking three vacations a year two of which were were driving only one was flying and like eating <laughs> out like it's like six like something like $65 a day on food <laughs> what the fuck are you eating but like all of these things it's like and i'm sitting here going i would be i have this was for a family of four i'm a family of five I, let me be the guy who demonstrates to you what even in Los Angeles a person can do well, on $400,000 well, a year right. and we'll talk afterwards. Like, well, am I, I going to be driving a Maserati? No. Are we going to be living a lot better than we do now? Yeah, about three times better, actually. But you got to understand, CNBC is, they know their audience. Let's yes. just say it's not Walmart and Amazon workers. Uh-huh. So they know who their audience is. They're talking to a particular crowd and they want people who make 500 K a year to somehow feel sorry for themselves. It's it's the weirdest thing in the world. I'm just like that guy who cleans my house or washes my car. We have so much more in common than, than, than we think. It's, it's, it's silly. It's silly. 60 uh, according to the kid from uh, New York City, $65 can get a Big Mac meal, but no super size in LA. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll give you like it is crazy. It's like it really is. It's not $65 a week, it's $65 a day, a day. That's on insanity. food for a family of four. 
It's a why? Lot. Well, I mean, you 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 just buy like forty bucks worth of shit and throw it out. Like, is that part? <laughs> it's a lot. I mean, hey, like man. that's that's going out to that's going out to a restaurant for at least one meal a day. Like at least. Have these people never heard of Top Ramen? Come on. <laughs> or just, I mean, you can, you can get decent grocers. Like, you don't even of have to course. go to, like, the, you don't Come even on. have to go to, like, the college level of, li- of living. Like, there, there's Not a You don't even got, like, you can, and you can get busy at Whole Foods, which isn't yes, even cheap, right. for real. Yes. Like, that's not even <laughs> Absolutely. cheap. Absolutely. Come on, man. All right, so I got a couple st- – before we get into this game that I got set up, I got a couple stats that uh, Kirk Goldsberry put out there regarding uh, tomorrow's finals game, which could end up the last. Uh, the Lakers have the opportunity to close out. He had a couple stats about LeBron that are just like, God damn. Um, you know, it's a lot's been made out of. He's got 259 playoff games uh, tied for most all-time. Amount of playoff games missed. This was staggering to me when I saw it. Zero. He has Crazy. never missed a playoff game, ever. Well, That's- except the fi- except the finals in 2011. Zing. <laughs> <laughs> like 200, 259 playoff games is the equivalent of three NBA seasons and change. And in three NBA seasons and change, on top of the actual seasons that he's played, never missed a playoff game. That's amazing. That's staggering. Yeah, like, and you know, the funniest thing about that is not well, not funny, but interesting. Um, Stephen A, a person who I have a lot of respect for, he's a fellow Hollis Queens guy. Um, obviously he's one of the biggest guys in media, but there was a clip running around where he was, because first take, of course, that they're one millionth and a half goat talk. Um, and LeBron can't be <laughs> Has a that goat. that been discussed before? That's right. LeBron's not the goat because this is the softest era in NBA history. And I just love the idea that James Worthy would have put LeBron on his ass. Like Kevin McHale would have been too physical for LeBron. Like, what are y'all talking about? Great this, dude is Steven in, Avoid. This, this dude is indestructible. It like the proof is in the pudding. I don't think, you know, you know, Haywood Workman would have just clobbered him and he just wouldn't have got up and he would have been scared to go to the rack again. I'm sorry, Kevin Duckworth. Like, it would have been fine. He would have been completely fine. Like, my favorite thing is when LeBron rolls an ankle and his ankle is like the size of a baseball. <laughs> and so he rolls his ankle. He just walks it off right after. <laughs> like, it's happened like so many times throughout his career. He's like, damn, that's a crazy sprain. He might miss the rest of the game. Nope. He just walks it off. Like, this dude is just physically. He is on another level. He's another species. Yeah, it's crazy. And, you know, his peak, I'm I'm somebody who's watched LeBron closely enough to know, like, he is nowhere close to what his peak was physically and just as an NBA player. Like, he's on a downturn. Obviously, he's still excellent, but he is nowhere near what he was in 2012 and 2013. To me, honestly, the best LeBron was 09 when nobody could stay in front of him and he was jumping over every single person, like, and he was scoring 30 while playing with Andy V. Zadrunas and Sasha Kalvovich <laughs> as floor spacers. Like if LeBron played in some type of that LeBron playing in some type of five out, four out offense would have been impossible to deal with. Like once he got ahead of steam going to the basket, he's finishing over. Oh. Forget, I could go all day about LeBron's physical peak and how far he is from that. 
right? But that he's able to be this excellent now, this level of excellent is crazy at 35. The only person that a perimeter player that even compares is Mike in 98 at 35 and how excellent he was. Um, perfectly on cue because he is the best. Uh, as we were talking about the millionth, uh, as you put it, was goat discussions going on on first take with Stephen A. Meta World Peace just tweeted out, everybody is the goat. <laughs> just, just, that's a great uh, he's right we're all I'm, the greatest of all time God, i miss that's a meta. very humanist statement by by my man meta world peace mm-hmm. another one, queen's legend by the way yeah oh god yes yes one more insane lebron stat before we go uh to the game closeout win percentage 79.2 percent he has closed out nearly four out of every five opportunities he's had over his career. Jesus, <laughs> man. <laughs> and you know I mean, what I think that speaks to a lot is, you know, as a series goes on, LeBron figures out what the hell that team is doing. Like, he just gets better at attacking their weaknesses. He gets better at understanding what they're trying to do to him. Um, I think you saw that in the second half yesterday when the first half – he was still with the turnovers, turnovers, turnovers. Then in the second half, he was like, nah, I know what I need to do now. And he stopped that. Um, I, I just think that's incredible. And something else that people need to, when when they cite the finals record, because somehow, you know, I, I need people whenever they they bring up the finals losses, they need to explain that to Doc Rivers. And he's going to be like, wait, so why did I get fired if it's better to lose in the second round than in the finals? Hmm. Funny how that works. Anyway, when people bring up that final stuff, it's like, dude, the Clippers are just the perfect encapsulation of why that's a relevant and incredible feat that LeBron's been to the finals 10 times. Like, you're not always going to the finals. Mm -hmm. Even when you have the best team, you don't always make it to the finals, even when you are the favorite. Like, the, the fact that this dude could do that 10 times it's crazy. And the example I use again is the Clippers who all year you heard, no, this team is going to the finals. They got the best team. They, they, they you know, they prepared for any team. They could beat anybody, blah, 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 blah. And they lost in the second round, you know? So like, it, it's just crazy when you consider the breadth of this guy's career, you know? I just did the math. If Miami somehow manages to push this to seven and then the Lakers end up winning, LeBron's closeout percentage drops to a mere seventy-six <laughs> percent. If they if they manage to lose the next two games before closing out Miami in seven, he'll only be seventy-six percent in closeout games. That's just nuts. Incredible. Man. He, he is otherworldly. It's just unbelievable. Um, we ready for the game? Yeah, let's do it. Do it. Okay, so as we're talking about, uh, it's going to be Lakers heat tomorrow, potentially the end of this series. Uh, LeBron James obviously played with the heat before eventually joining the Lakers. So I've got a game where True. I'm going to give you I'm going to give you guys both um, different guys who played for the Lakers and the heat and different statistical categories. And you guess which one is higher. Uh, depending on which one it is. We begin with one LeBron James, highest single-season scoring average. Did it happen with the Lakers or the Heat? Definitely. Brian goes first. Oh, sorry. It's okay. (laughs) Like like, like Playoffs or regular season? Regular season. These are all regular season, by the way. Uh, Miami. 
And Waz, you said Miami? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 100%. Both incorrect. Actually, wow. the Lakers, last season, 27.4 with the Heat, 27.1 twice. Wow. Yes, I know. I, I was realized I was never 27 points last year. I thought it was like something like 25 something. No, I, I was 28, 8, and 8 last year. I was really surprised by that. And, his, and remember, that was a bad year. It last was year. a bad year. Right. <laughs> it was. He was, was uninterested and didn't by <laughs> himself and averaged 28, 8, and 8. Um, we should Eddie all suck at our jobs that much. <laughs> I know, seriously. Eddie Jones, higher scoring average in total with the respective franchise, Lakers or Heat? In total, not single season. Not single the season, heat. in total. Uh, that's Waz's answer. Okay, Brian. I believe that is correct, Miami. It is the Heat. Uh, 16.2 points per game versus 15.2 as a Laker. Lamar. I feel like oh, in Charlotte in Charlotte, and in um, Miami, he started becoming – I felt like he became more of a feature type of guy after mm -hmm. leaving the Lakers. He did, but his scoring average is actually pretty close to what it was higher in than Miami. The Lakers, yeah. Wow. He, he was he – was, Pretty good. He was Laker fans, man. They were upset when he got traded. Even paving, you know, the way for Kobe to really have more he was of a feature such role. A good player, man. He was so tenacious on defense. He was. He could knock down open buckets. I was a fan of um, uh, Eddie Jones, man. He was a yeah. fun guy to watch. He was popular. Lamar Odom, higher rebounding average uh, in total for his time either as a Laker or a Heat. Brian goes first. Laker. Heat. It is the Heat. Oh. 9.7 rebounds per game versus 9.5 for Lamar Odom yeah. as a Laker. But he did get two rings. Luol Deng. Turnovers <laughs> per game. <laughs> More as a member of the Miami Heat in totality or Lakers in totality. Moving forward, I believe these are all going to be in totality. Am I going first? It is Brian going first. Lou okay. Aldang, turnovers per game as a Heat or as well, a Laker? You can't turn the ball over if you don't have a uniform. So that does cut down on some of it. I will say Miami. Yeah, I would say Miami too because I feel like those teams were were fairly up-tempo type of teams. Um when when they had the, that nice season when he was like the stretch four with D Wade and all mm -hmm. of that, so I'm gonna go with Miami. You are correct. It is Miami. One point three turnovers per game versus point eight as a Laker. He and was people uh, criticized him. <laughs> he was he was only allowed to do damage to the salary cap, not necessarily on the floor. <laughs> Glenn Rice, offensive rating. Per basketball references metrics, higher as a member of the Lakers or a member of the Heat? Waz goes first. Charlotte Hornets. I, I would say a member of the Lakers for sure because he played – he was getting minutes with Kobe and Shaq. <laughs> so I would say a member of the Lakers for sure. I'm going to say Heat. It is the Lakers. Waz is oh. correct. 112 offensive yeah. rating with the Lakers versus 111. As a member of the wow, Heat, that's, I know it. That's insane. I didn't think he would he would have that type of offensive rating with the Heat. He was pretty good, man. No, he, he was, was good, but I didn't think of those teams as like offensively. But you know, 
those ni- the 90s because they were such low possession games yeah, it skews yeah. your vision of who was actually effective on offense cuz that's back when we were still going by points per game smush parker better defensive rating per basketball <laughs> metric, references metrics lakers or heat brian goes first uh lakers i'll say I'm going to say the Heat because the Laker teams were just bad. I can't imagine that they were good at defense. So give well, me the Heat. Uh, it was actually the Lakers that he was wow. better. 108 defensive rating versus 111 in Miami. Wow. He was a lot fatter in uh, Miami. Was, was. People, I got to tell you, for all the shit that Mitch Kupchak and Jim Buss took for having Smush Parker on that team, at least that was like a scrap heap recovery thing. Pat Riley actually saw that stint. A lot of it too. <laughs> he made him pretty handsomely. He so cultured. Just yeah, just lets you know. Even the great GMs miss every now and then. Roni Turioff, our buddy, high higher field goal percentage with the Lakers or the Heat in totality. Waz goes first. Hmm. Give me the Heat. He, he he wasn't getting a lot of chances on that on that Braun and D Wade team, but I would imagine they were all layups. So give me the Heat. <laughs> I'll say Lakers. It actually is the Heat. Uh, Oz now pulling ahead five to three, fifty three percent versus fifty percent. A few more of these. Brian Shaw, games started in total. Miami Heat or Lakers? I'll say Miami. Man, that's a I'd forgotten he even played for the Heat. I didn't know he played. I thought he went from Orlando to, to LA. Um for, he had a so lot of yeah, stuff. give me give me give me the Lakers. Give me the Lakers. Ooh, it's the Heat and by a Ooh. large margin yeah, I, think, I, I don't think he started very many games for the Lakers. 120 games started with the Heat despite playing one fewer season than he did with the Lakers. Wow. Only 30. So it's yeah. five to wow. four. He never started, he was always a bench guy. Two more the two more to go. Michael Beasley assists per game. <laughs> Higher average with Miami or with the Lakers. Waz goes first. Man, I'm gonna go Before, Miami. His usage in those early years was such that he had to at least just fall into some assists. Whereas when he became like veteran minimum guy, he was coming in the gun every single time. So give me the, the Miami Heat. I feel like this is a trick question. And the answer is is the Lakers, despite the fact we all know that in his entire career here, he had three assists. It actually is it actually is the Heat. Oh. 1.1 versus 1.0. The oh difference though is God. that in Miami, Michael Beasley averaged 23.8 minutes per game. As a Laker, just 10.7. So it cannot be overstated just wow. how little interest Michael Beasley <laughs> had in passing while a member of the Heat. Like the it's pretty shocking how little he passed the ball. So we got one left, but as luck would have it, uh Waz up six to four. This one is worth three. Waz just randomly. Who would have figured it? So Brian has an opportunity. <laughs> okay. Shaq, higher free throw percentage. As a Laker wow. or as a Heat, who goes first? Well, it's got to be Waz. It's got to be Waz because he's okay. A um, this uh, there's absolutely no anything here. I'm just gonna go with the Heat. I just because 
I'm saying I, I don't. I, I can't remember a time Shaq ever any but horrible. So I don't know. <laughs> so <laughs> Miami. Oh, Brian with the comeback. It's actually <laughs> the Lakers. He had a better percentage, 53.3 versus 46% with Miami. 46%. Wow. It's the We Believe Brian's. <laughs> Lucky come from behind. Nobody thought you, I could do it. How did you Nobody do it? thought I could do it. <laughs> Just like these Lakers going Just into like this game Lakers. tomorrow with a mere three to one advantage, they believe the most, the most disrespected pundit in all of Los <laughs> Angeles. Right. You are Brian. You have had, by the way, was kudos, just like Chef's Kiss. The way you've blown out this "We Believe Lakers" thing has been oh, man. amazing. <laughs> it has been. Tr- there have been others doing it, but I think nobody has really run this thing into the ground with such glee the way you have. It's been awesome. Well, and but the, the, it like it, it's just there for the take it because again, I remember Portland was made to be the greatest eighth seed in the history of mankind. Going into it, the Lakers' offense was dragging and blah. And Portland is this and that. And I'm just like, guys, really, really. <laughs> The team that couldn't beat Memphis and Brooklyn without like hijinks, really? Okay, all right, cool. Now we got the Rockets. Oh, they're gonna spread the Lakers out. The Lakers can't play small ball. Oh, the Rockets are gonna be a matchup nightmare. And I'm like, OKC just like literally a tip, a tip, wide open three pointer from knocking these jokers out. We know OKC isn't of the same quality as the Lakers. Why are we doing this? <laughs> People didn't do it so much with Denver because Denver had just beat the Clippers, so they kind of relaxed a little bit. But it was just like, yo, what is even going on here? So, I, you know, I had to have fun with it. But the, the best part about it, guys, is that there were Laker fans who don't know me and don't realize my shtick, and I'm getting retweeted into feeds without any context. And be like, who is this freaking joker? Take his blue check away. He's a fucking idiot. So that was fun, too. It's always fun when people don't, aren't in on the joke. It was glorious. My favorite form of Twitter is this person clearly doesn't get the joke Twitter. Yes, it's the best. Yeah, and especially when you can run an entire thread where – Everyone else who follows you gets the joke, but this yeah. guy doesn't. <laughs> no, but you know, some of my followers would do the light shoulder tap, like, yeah, it's a joke, bro. Like, relax, <laughs> calm down. Like, he's actually, he actually picked the Lakers back in October of 2019 to win the championship. Like, isn't this is, he's just trolling at this point. <laughs> when was that? Um, shoot, man. I, I, every I single thing that I did, I picked the Lakers. When was, I mean, literally when was October of 2000? Oh, right. Right. That we sounds made up like we, that there was had, October of 2019. We had a live show count the dings did. I think it was Chicago was October. I don't remember. It might've even been Bay area. I don't remember everything sort of. You know, last year's just sort of just been crammed into one thing. And I remember people, I remember the crowd booing and laughing at me when I picked the Lakers. This, this is a true story. It happened. Wow. I believe that. I mean, it wasn't that outrageous a pick. My God. I mean, I, no, I, it, it, I'm telling I, you guys, man. I think my preseason pick to win it all 
was actually the Clippers, but I know for sure I had the Lakers going to the Western Conference Finals. I mean, like, of course, we had they were not to. exact. They were not exactly this little plucky story. I mean, my God! And then but, you look around. Yeah, like, you look around the West. Who are these teams that were supposed to be so much better? Was Denver and Utah and the Rockets? I'm like, I don't know. Well, the difference between seeding, like a lot of people pick the Lakers to finish as a lower seed because they figured they wouldn't try to finish as a higher right. seed. Yeah, that was my logic. Right, but LeBron's but team definitely. Underperformed in the, in the and underachieved in the um regular season. Basically, since once he left uh Miami, all of his teams underachieved in the regular season. Like they that's just been the case right. since no he left there. You need to keep your foot on the pedal. And so right. like, yeah. you know, they, you you manage AD, you manage LeBron, you get through the season. They didn't do it. They actually came out and were really serious about winning every game. So and you could probably thank Carew Sanity for that, man. <laughs> Love him. That He's is actually great. It is actually a cool story. Oh, all right, dude. Awesome. Thank Was- you guys, man. Wasn't Lambry. What do you got to plug? Let people know how to. How um, to find just you. you know, just subscribe to the Athletics NBA show feed. I do a show called Basket Buds with Zach Harper, Jay King, Dave DeFore, Black Trey, um, and also on um those drop uh, hoops and Jason drops on Wednesdays. With the Hall of Famer and myself, David Aldridge, every single Wednesday we talk to coaches, execs, players, other media guys. Um, it's a really fun show, so check that show. out. And show. then um, please uh, subscribe to my culture podcast um, on the Black Opinions Matter feed. Yes, also um, yes. Where, where you know I do I get into a little politics, movie, music. I just try to dabble in different things, man. I'm not a one trick pony. But yo. you know what's great about too, before we let you go, what I really so like for that shit. What I really like about that podcast in particular is how far you guys go out of your way to try to give other people a platform on it. Like it's very much it it seems to me at least a showcase as much for other people who may not have your platform as you guys yourself. And I think that's really cool. Yeah, I mean, first of all, one, I love talking talking to different people and just getting different perspectives because, you know, even though, like like you guys, I work in the industry, but also like you guys, I'm still a fan of this shit. So yeah. I love talking to people about it all the time. And number two, you know, it's less work for me. <laughs> well, I mean, when you're, when you're managing seven podcasts, you deserve a break. Exactly. Dude. We love having you on, man. Thank you. Thank you. So Thank fun. you, guys, man. Can't wait to talk to you guys again. Be good. Yeah, uh, you as well, man. Uh, tomorrow night, Clinton Yates, still endeavoring for Clinton Yates. And uh, Monday, Zach Schwartz. We got uh, so a couple NBA shows coming up. Uh, still kind of nailing down next week, but we will have Gustavo Ariano uh, later in the week, Thursday or Friday. And that's going to be a super fun show talking about uh, voting in L.A., getting everybody ready for the election. And... Uh, the best where to get the best tortillas he's yes. going to tell us and we're going to eat them yeah absolutely. Uh, you know, a tortilla tournament coming up with kcrw you can go to kcrw.com and and check that out but that's going to be a really fun show uh so we'll get a bunch of stuff lined up for next week and uh, we'll do some nfl we'll do some baseball um it's been fun it's been this is all working out swimmingly so far indeed indeed uh, all right so we'll see everybody tomorrow night with uh, clinton yates talking game five thank you Nederland. <laughs>